welcome back to Private Practice Pro podcast series. My name is Giles Davies and I'm the co-founder of Private Practice Pro and today we're going to be talking about how we balance NHS and private care for consultants and for GPs. It's important to realise that most of the doctors who choose to undertake private medical practice are also working in the NHS at the same time. And one of the biggest questions all doctors ask me is how much time can I spend in private practice? How much time did you spend? How did you balance working in private practice when you were working in the NHS? And I suppose when I started work as a consultant, and this is about 13 years ago now, the rule of thumb seemed to be a half day a week was possible. But when when I started, it very, very quickly felt like I needed to kind of look at evenings and Saturdays as my NHS commitments almost immediately and rapidly expanded to fill every available space. And in fact, many consultant posts are advertised with what's known as a proposed job plan. You've got to remember that's exactly what it is, proposed. Most jobs will be advertised with the sort of obligatory two and a half supporting professional activity sessions, but not all. And in fact, there was a BMJ article looking at, you know, a thousand 500 consultant posts and 38% of them were actually advertised in the BMJ with less than two and a half SPAs. That meant 400 plus jobs had fewer than the recommended SPAs and what was really worse was in that series only 17 of them were actually rejected by the college for college approval so that meant and means actually that many people are starting a job with way too many clinical sessions in hospital medicine for consultants and not enough SPA. So how on earth with that as a starting point are you going to find time for private practice? Let me tell you how. Once you've started or agreed a job plan it's really hard to change it and I believe that you should see that the proposed job plan or indeed actually your existing job plan is a negotiable thing and under your control. It's your time it's your job, it's no one else's. So once you're appointed to a consultant post, if that's what the position you're in, I would strongly advise you to do two things actually. First, have a break. Yeah, Ideally three months between finishing because it's an exhausting number of years of specialist training. You need a well-earned rest and you need a chance often to move to the part of the country you might be working with, with your family, settle in, find schools. And secondly, it gives you that time to understand the job you're going to be doing. You can pop in. You can meet people. You're not working there yet, so it's not any contractual commitment. You can really understand what you're really going to be doing. You've got to remember that all too often these job plans that are advertised bear little or actually no resemblance to the actual job when you start. Yeah? Many consultants blindly start and then you agree to become the audit lead the rotor coordinator and after six months you know you're shattered and you're thinking about dipping your toes into private practice and often it doesn't go well and you're put off by your senior colleagues so how do we negotiate the job plan I would strongly advise all recently appointed consultants to have a good read through the model contract and it's all available and actually if you take our course you we, we include this in the supporting information on the NHS employers website and I know it's not really particularly interesting but the, the long and the short of it is that if you want to do private practice you often 
have to take up an additional PA. So you've got to be prepared to resist the pressure to accept additional clinical work and reduce your capacity and opportunity to start your private practice. You are in a negotiation. You've got a contractual right to push back and negotiate. And if you want to successfully negotiate, you need to understand the contract and understand what yours and their obligations as their employer are. Yeah. So it's really, really, really important. So if you're going to be on a 10PA contract and you want to do private work, your trust may ask you to do another session. That's in the contract. So understand those rules. The other thing to think of with job planning and contracts is about the out-of-hours work because premium time can have a significant impact on your job plan. And in fact, you know, a typical intensive care consultant who's doing shift work can actually pack in the whole of their job plan into three or four days, uh, freeing up quite a lot of time for other things. So the earlier you think about the job plan and making sure that what you're doing is correctly identified in the job plan, it might sound like you're being a bit picky and a bit sort of geeky about the whole thing to start with, but trust me, the earlier you push back, the better. Then you will avoid conflict later and you can build in the potential to undertake private practice and in fact be quite transparent about that. You might say, well, this session and this session might be for a research interest or private work I haven't decided yet. And you'll be amazed if you don't do that, how reluctant your colleagues will be to take over your eminent position of rotor coordinator handing the poison chalice is quite difficult. Yeah, So understand the difference between being eager when you start and being completely naive. If you don't proactively shape and manage your job plan, then you will, by default, put yourself into an evening and weekend scenario. Yeah. So my top tips here are to negotiate an 11PA contract that reflects the work you'll actually be doing. Ensure that your premium time and on-call commitments are accurately reflected. Negotiate any additional roles in advance of agreeing them. And I'd actually say no to as much as you can to start with. Don't be shy to confirm that you're looking to undertake private practice and identify a weekday session that it's going to be delivered in within normal working hours, even if you don't do it to begin with. And like the previous podcast, I really want to re-emphasize, just present solutions to deliver productivity and not sort of make a demands list or complaining. Yeah, Do prepare for your consultant post and negotiate your job plan in advance. The top tip of three months off is a winner. You'll feel really recharged. You kind of get your head around everything and you're raring to go at that point. So that's consultants. Let's have a think about general practitioners. So if we look at GPs, um, you've got to think really that most doctors in general practice now are a portfolio doctor and they have a number of different jobs and that's really the new normal. And many GPs will see their four to six sessions, for example, of NHS work as only one of their medical roles. So let's break it down a little bit and look at GP partners, salaried GPs, and then locum GPs in turn. So if you start with GP partners, 
The advantage of a GP partnership over a career as a salary GP is the job security. That security is not just about income, but knowing that you're kind of putting a stamp on the local community, you're the boss, and you have all of the facets of running your own business. And there's quite a lot of advantages to autonomy because you can construct the hours you work, you can decide the way you actually deliver services. And it sounds perfect, right? Not always. Not always. The biggest difficulties, and one of them, in fact, and one of the major barriers is ownership of practice premises. And GPs are moving away from property ownership because of the issues with recruitment and retention as partners leave the risk to the remaining partners. That gets higher and higher, that risk, because, of course, the buck ends with you. You've got pay, sick pay, training, locum cover organization, all of that. Remember, you're self-employed. And in addition, one of the most important aspects of both the GMS and PMS GP contract is that you can't subcontract any work to a company that's related to you. So what does that mean? It means you can't provide private medical services to any of your NHS practicing patients. So by removing your local practice base as a potential source of patients, it can actually pay, place quite a huge barrier to developing a business in the local area. And if you're faced with the prospect of some reciprocal arrangements, and I've seen this, I've seen this in our local surgery, with another practice or setting up private practice outside your area, it's kind of doomed to fail as well. So having said that, many partners actually have really the perfect skills, knowledge and attributes to successfully run businesses. And actually, if they pursue a private GP route after some years of partnership, the processes around CQC registration, employing staff and, and many other key aspects of running a business can be extremely useful and transferable skills. And actually many successful private GPs were previously successful GP partners or still are. So let's move on to salary GPs and of course a salary GP the attraction is to sort of sidestep those financial responsibilities and outgoings of partnership which is why the number of GPs in salary positions has risen I think. You're free aren't you to undertake private practice outside of your working hours and the newer contracts allow paid time for CPD, practice meetings, sick and maternity pay. And many practices are obliged to use the BMA salary GP model contract. And remember, job contracts are negotiations. And you can negotiate an annual pay rise, which is standard in a hospital, but not automatic in a salary GP contract. So, you know, as a salary GP, you can negotiate to undertake private work outside of your working hours. And of course, it might be possible to perform this on site at the practice you're working in, depending on who owns the building and the services, and you do need to negotiate the terms of this work. For example, how much of a private fee you would receive after the deduction of overheads, for example. So salary GPs are in quite a good position to undertake private services. And finally, if you look at locum GPs, now this type of work has become very popular, as of course it's the ultimate in flexibility as you choose when and where and for how long you work. And it does require significant levels of organization. And interestingly, many doctors, many locum doctors are actually quite poorly organized, which is a shame because if you look at the, the high rollers in locum GPs, they can be really highly efficient and actually earn a lot of money doing um, effective work very quickly. And 
a lot of that, I think, uh, relates to strong levels of organization, building relationships to gain regular offers of work. And the very, very effective Logan GPs can actually earn a great deal of income by negotiation and effective working. It's a very good idea if you're considering Logan work as private additional income, aside from contracted salaried work, to develop your own clear set of terms and conditions under which you're willing to work. And the sort of things you need to put in those terms and conditions are things like a definition of your duties, when you're going to be on call, how many patients, you, how you'll triage, who does the letters and the home visits, a very clear definition of how long you're going to see people for, how many patients you're prepared to see per session, what is the session length you're doing and how much time you need for admin. You need to have things like a cancellation fee on a sliding scale from 0 to 100%, from 0 to 28 days, for example, in advance. You need to include employer pension contributions, legal employment status. Think about tax and IR35. You need to think about cremation fees and then very clearly and consistently have very transparent payment terms and a secure invoicing structure. Actually, the Association of Sessional GPs, which is an organization you're probably familiar with if you're a GP, have an amazing locum deck that helps you run your locum work, and I'd thoroughly, thoroughly encourage people to use that. People often ask about Chambers, because Chambers is another option where you've got the sort of collective power of the group, and that's pretty good and was quite popular five to ten years ago because you can provide a better offering for prospective clients and commissioners of care. If you're a tightly knit, like-minded group of individuals with a shared philosophy, this can be highly effective. Hmm, how many groups of GPs are a tightly knit, like-minded group of individuals with a shared philosophy? I wonder how many of you have been bitten by being part of Chambers. Often... It's the founding members, aren't they, who are the winners, with everyone else playing second fiddle. So, in summary, for GPs, partners will often have the skills, knowledge and attributes to run private medical practices. Partnerships can be a barrier to local private practice. Salary GPs and locums have the flexibility and freedom to develop business interests. And as a locum GP, make sure you have a clear set of terms and conditions. So I hope I've given you a little bit of insight into balancing NHS and private care, either as a consultant or as a GP looking to undertake private work. And when you reflect on this podcast, I suspect the GPs in the audience are going to be rubbing their hands thinking, do you know what, we're in a really good position to set up a private medical business in 2021. And I think you're right. I think the massive amount of growth in private healthcare companies app providers, part-time MBAs, and all the rest of it is going to come from the GP doctors. And I think good luck to them because they deserve the success that they've earned. So I hope you've enjoyed the podcast today. And in the next podcast, we're going to move on and talk about scope of practice, avoiding conflicts of interest, and the really interesting topic about understanding who are your customers in the healthcare marketplace. So I look forward hope you can tune in for that one and I look forward to seeing you there thank you so much for listening to the private practice pro podcast many thanks goodbye